going on, fishing folks? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Fisherman's Journal Podcast. I am that fisherman, Daryl Barras, and this is my journal and podcast forum. And we have another jam-packed podcast episode for you because we have two heavy hitters in the tournament fishing world joining us. I'm talking about Jordan Lee and Jason Lambert. Now, on the backcast of this podcast, Jordan and I will be talking about his new line of Berkeley baits and the power of Berkeley Max Scent. We'll also discuss the title of back-to-back Bassmaster Classic Champion and dig a little deep into fall fishing techniques. But first up is Bass Pro Tour angler Jason Lambert. Now Jason and I will be talking about his year on the Bass Pro Tour, fishing top waters during the fall transition in his record-setting tournament with over 100 pounds of fish and the unwritten, unwritten rules of fishing. So guys, stay tuned. We have another great podcast coming up right after a quick break. So we hear from our sponsors. face it fishing apps are popping up everywhere but they're here to stay i've tried my fair share of them and along the way i found angler angler is like a combination of all of my favorite fishing tools under one roof angler has taken my boat electronics weather reports fishing logbook and a whole community of other like-minded fishermen and placed it all inside my smartphone tablet and desktop for free giving me a powerful fishing tool to record learn compete, and collaborate with other serious anglers. Look, Angler is not just another fishing app. It allows me to connect optional Bluetooth devices that keep me off my phone and record all the fishing information for me. I've been fishing with the Angler Bullseye for over two months now, and I've recorded all of my catches and waypoints by just clicking the Bullseye button. It's that simple to get all the fishing information I need. I just focused on fishing, and Angler did the rest. The best part is that all of the information that I did record is completely private and saved securely on my Angler account. So are you ready to give it a try? Just head over to angler.com. That's A-N-G-L-R.com. 100% free to join, 100% free to use. Como se y'all? My name is Zach Dubois, and here at Cajun Lures, we got everything you need from bass to saltwater and even crappie, or like us Cajuns like to call, sockele. Our lures are born out of the bayous and basins of South Louisiana. We work hard to deliver quality made baits, the only way a true Cajun knows how. We strive to give anglers the edge they need to get that next bite, whether it be for joy or competition. On your next trip, make sure you go out and catch them on a Cajun. Find more at www.cajunlures.com. All right, fishing folks, we're going to get things started with Jason Lambert. Now, Jason and I talked about a lot of things from college football to ducky fishing rods in the fall transition. And we even got into his struggles this year on the Bass Pro Tour. But our conversation took an interesting turn when we started talking about unwritten rules in tournament fishing and fishing in general. You guys check it out. All right. So Jason Lambert, uh, this was your first year on the Bass Pro Tour, as well as everybody else's first year. Um, so how would you consider your first year on the new tour? Well, I guess the easiest word to use would be frustrating for me. I had a had a pretty tough year. You know, it was um, a couple of things. Number one, I, I think the, the format was 
was way different than I thought it was going to be. And number two, it was just a lot of, a lot of stubbornness. I had, um, I really figured out how to fish that format after about four events. And then we had the next two events where on lakes I was real familiar with and had a lot of history on. And, uh, and, and I went and fished the way I wanted to fish instead of the way I should have fished. And, uh, just, uh, it was a learning experience. I mean, I think it was for a lot of guys. I mean, we had some, uh, some some pretty big name guys that was down towards the bottom of the standings with myself. So I think it was just a just a, a learning year, and and it just makes you really want to really want to get started again because you want to get that bad taste out of your mouth. So now that your first year is under your belt, what kind of changes and modifications to your own game do you have to do to actually be more successful in 2020? Well, I think I think a lot of it will be fixed just by by a better schedule. I mean, this, this year was thrown together so quickly and it ended up being, you know, like five out of our eight events were, were on spawn, spawn tournaments. And, you know, it was a weird spring. It was high muddy water. It's just a lot of different things that don't normally happen. So I think the schedule being probably more balanced. I mean, we haven't seen it obviously yet, but it's, um, I just feel like we're going to have a better blend of pre-spawn, spawn and post-spawn type events. And I think that'll help a lot. So, you know, you, I still feel like every event that you start, you you've got practice it as as with your strengths. I mean, what what you're the best at is what you've got to start fishing, and and the the adjustment that needs to be made from from my standpoint is not necessarily, you know, a change in style of fishing, but being smart enough to recognize when your strength isn't working and and pick up something, you know. The funny thing is you could have fished this whole entire season with three rods. You could have fished with a chatterbait and a square bill and a wacky rig. And if you'd thrown just those three rods the whole entire year, you'd have been in the top five in the points at the end of the year. So it's, uh, I think probably the, the easiest way to describe what you got to do is just simplify it. I mean, you got to, you know, we, we all got our things that we're great at and things that we're not so great at, but we got to, we just got to simplify it and just go back to fishing. Yeah, that's right. Cause you, you're more of a power fisherman. You like the moving base, the, you know, constantly on the go type of, of deal. So do you think you have to practice more, say, with the wacky rig and a spinning rod in your hand? Or are you just looking forward to getting on those lakes where you could throw that deep diving crankbait, you know, more often and catch more fish with it? Well, you know, I don't think my approach is going to be different, obviously, after the year I have, but I don't think that you've got to practice as much, you know, with the plastics and the wacky rig and type of thing. I think, <clears throat> I think you got to practice the way that, that you want to fish. Excuse me, I'm choking myself here. I think you've got to practice your strengths. And if you can make that work, then if, if you can fish your strengths on any lake, on, you know, any, any format, it doesn't matter who the competition is. If you can fish your strengths, you can win any given week. I mean, that's just, we're, I mean, we're all good fishermen out here and we've all, we've all won. I mean, that's the, the other thing with the BPT roster. I mean, yeah, there's 80 guys, but I mean, I dare you to find a guy in that field that hasn't done something big in his career. So it's a, it's a super, super tough uh, roster we're fishing against, but. You know, all these guys are good, and if these guys can hit their strengths, any of us can win any given week. But, yeah, I I love power fishing in general. Not, I mean, yeah, deep cranking, but I love throwing a square bill. I love throwing, you know, anything anything that I can throw a long ways and reel back is is how I like to fish. And, 
you, you want that to work, but if that doesn't work, you got to be you got to be cognizant of the fact that you've got to pick up a spinning rod or a flipping stick or something with some plastic on it and, and slow down, and then just you know be be smarter about picking high percentage areas. And the one thing I'll say about our format, especially for trackers, if if you go 30 minutes and haven't caught one, I mean, if you slide in on a row of docks somewhere and you fish for 30 minutes and haven't gotten bit, then you got to go to a different row of docks. I mean, it's you got to be catching them and catching them fast because these guys do. All right, so on the same topic of lures, you know, it's the fall transition time. The season is changing, and the fishing techniques is going to going to fluctuate quite a bit in the coming weeks and months. So, um, we are doing something where we're writing a full article with some pro ideas on what people should be throwing during the fall months and during the fall transition. And it's going to be, you know, lures with a company rod and reel and line. So in your opinion, if you had to pick one lure that people should be throwing right now during the fall transition, what would it be? In the fall, you've got to have a top water. I mean, I've, you will not see my boat in the fall of the year without that of my top water walking bait on. I mean, this, this time of year, the, the shad are making their migrations back into the creeks and to the flats. And obviously when the bait moves, the fish move, but this is probably the, the one single time of the year that the fish key on, on the shad more so than, than any other time of the year. And, and you've always got to have a top water bait period. I mean, you know, it's just that that's the time of the year the schooling really starts. I mean, that's the feed for the winter. I mean, that's the last, you know, their last few months they've got to eat, you know, in, in the normal, normal realm of things. Now, obviously you get way south where you don't really have winters. It's not, it's not nearly as depressing an issue, but. I mean, even, you know, up and down the Tennessee River right now, you've got to have a top water on hand. Okay, Doug, so pick a top water. You had to actually name that lure. What top water are you throwing? If if I got one and I can throw one only, it's the six inch dog in the 100. It's a, it's a little more compact. It's, you can, you know, it's obviously we like throwing the great big top waters at times too, but if I got to pick one, it's going to be that smaller dogma. You know, it's just, just a walking top, you know, walk the dog type bait. And it's a, it, it, it's just a must have in the fall. Good deal. So when it comes to the rod and reel you're using with this particular lure, um, is it something special or do you have any ideas that could make it work a little better? Well, you, you've got to fish it on a fast tip rod. I mean, if you fish it on two stiff rods, you're actually going to pull it. It's going to pull away from a lot of fish. So I fish it on a seven, three medium heavy. A ducket rod. It's almost, you know, it's almost a cranking rod. It's a seven three medium heavy, and and I throw it on braid. I throw it on thirty pounds line braid, and it's the the braid. You know, obviously you can't fish the top water on fluorocarbon because the line sinks and the the bait won't walk right. A lot of guys still throw them on on monofilament, and and I I I keep one a couple of spools of sixteen pound sunline mono just for the smaller top baits are the smaller topwater baits but when you get to that walking style battle long braid it just it's just so much easier on you it's it don't wear you out near as bad as the mono it's just easier to walk now i have a confession and i'm not proud of it but i have never ever used a ducky fishing rod or reel in my entire fishing career um so if you had to tell me someone who hasn't used that their products before why it's a great brand to use what would it be well we've got that's 
the good thing about the bucket brand is is we cover everything from that eighty nine ninety nine dollar rod up to the you know one eighty nine uh, two hundred dollar rod. So there's there's something there for everybody. Um, the the one thing that's that I like the best about the rod personally is the weight. They're super light. Um, you know, a lot of times when you get really light rods, you end up with a lot of breakage, but don't have that issue I, I broke two of them this year personally and one of them was on the trolling motor and one of them was setting a hook on a stump so it's it's a real durable rod it's it's actually designed by German by by Boyd himself and you know we're just now releasing a new pro series rod where our signature rods are in so all of those rods that are in that pro series line are designed by that guy by, for his strength so you know, Timmy Horton's got his cranking stuff, and then I've got my scrounger rod, and I've got a, a 7.6 cranking slash jig rod. I mean, it's a 7.6 it's a medium heavy, but we didn't want to call it a cranking rod because it's it's much more than that. You can use it for a lot more. So I, I think probably the most attractive thing to me about it is is the, the range of price that it covers, but I've been fishing them for six years, and, and I can honestly say they've never cost me a fish. Good deal. Now, I want to pivot a little bit. I want you to take me back to 2018. You're on the FLW tour, and there's a magical number that's out there right now for you. It's 1019. Take me back mm-hmm. to that particular tournament and how it felt to, one, have a 30-pound bag on one day, and two, to catch over 100 pounds of fish in a single tournament. Uh, going into that event, it was kind of it was kind of strange that it ended up working out the way it did because that, you know, Pickwick, obviously it's no secret that it's going through a, a very bad down cycle right now. And, um, it's, or I said Pickwick, Kentucky. And, uh, it's, that event itself was, was strange for, I, I never had that hundred pound number in my head. I sustained when I won that event, I, I did have that number in my head, but I, I had a slip up on day one and, and only caught like eighteen nine, so I end up with ninety seven and something for that event. But you know, this this particular tournament in eighteen I had, you know, I don't know, half a dozen schools of deep fish found. But, you know, the one good thing about it was I pretty much had, you know, a few of us that were out fishing out had it kinda of to ourselves because is we were right in the middle of the transition and and I knew I could catch some fish, but I didn't. I didn't know that I could catch that kind of fish. But you know, I had a, a good day to start. I had a 24 pound day to start. Uh, the day I just couldn't get on anything. Everything that was decent was covered up. Felt like I got in a bad rotation, so I pulled the plug and made a big long run way south to a little shallow road that I fished for years, and you know, end up catching five bass. That day. It was the only five fish I caught all day and there's 19 or so but you know the the moment that i felt like 100 was achievable was was that last fish on the second day when i, I caught a nine two and and that i knew it put me over 30 so i knew it was within reach i mean still though i had to catch 25 and some change the sec- the last day and believe me that wasn't an easy at that time i mean there's been times at kentucky when 25 was was easy but it it wasn't in 2018. But I got fortunate in that event. I caught two seven pounders and one over nine. And then you know 2016 when I went there with 97 pounds, I had and did not catch a seven pounder the whole entire week. You know, the biggest I caught that whole week was like a six and a half. 
So, you know, a couple of big, big, big ones mixed in makes a difference. And, you know, you go back to 18, you throw a nine pounder in there and I caught a hundred pounds that week too. So a nine pounder don't come around very often, but when it does, it gives you a chance to do something pretty special. Now, a lot of people are saying that that win has an asterisk on it. And, you know, half of the fishing community is saying you broke a unwritten rule and the other half is saying that you were within your rights. And I'm one of those people who I think the whole situation was overblown tremendously. Um, and I don't think you did anything wrong, but I don't want to, I'm not going to go into that. If some, if people want to know exactly what happened, if you don't know, they can go look up what happened. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that, but I want to talk to you about the unwritten rules in fishing and why are there so many unwritten rules and should anglers have to abide by those rules? Absolutely not. There's there's no reason why there should be an unwritten rule. I mean, there's, you know, I, I grew up fishing offshore tournament lakes, and, and you know, it, that's the place where you always, you almost never hear those gripes and complaints on any other kind of fishery until you get to the offshore lakes where the, the big schools of fish obviously congregate in small areas. But, you know, the, the simple fact of what happened in that event was everybody knows that knows me knows I'm not going to pull in on somebody and fish somebody else. But the other thing everybody needs to understand is my, the first morning of that tournament, I was boat 50. I went to that spot. That was my first stop of the tournament was that location. And I caught 24 pounds off of that thing in about 17 minutes. And I pulled the trolling motor and left because nobody saw me out there. It's a giant community hole. I mean, it's one of the biggest community holes on the north end of the lake. But, he obviously found them that afternoon, and then that's the reason I couldn't get on it second day because he, he was boat 20 or something the second day, and he ran straight to it, and I drove past him. You know, realistically, if you want to go by the unwritten rules, hell, I should have stopped because I was the one that found the fish and started my tournament on them, and yep. I, I fished them the first morning. So, you know, if you go by the unwritten rules, then I should have pulled in there and fished with him the second day, but I didn't. I drove by because there was somebody sitting there. And, and that's the way I've always fished. Now, I can't help it. I run an avenue and I'm faster than anybody else on the lake. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's not, that's not my problem, but the unwritten rules stuff is, is out the window nowadays because, you know, all the old unwritten rules came about back in the days before everybody got good at electronics and you didn't have many people fishing out. And, you know, if you saw somebody fishing out on something, the unwritten rule was you weren't supposed to go there the next day, but, that's out the window now because everybody finds the same fish and it's not it's not about finding the fish i mean finding the fish is the easy part i mean that's that's the that's the part that anybody can do that can turn on a depth hunter but the 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 trick the secret to it is just catching them and you know catching not just catching them but catching the right ones and and the old four fish you know five fish formats but i don't I don't particularly think that it matters anymore about unwritten rules because everybody's looking at the same schools of fish in practice. And, you know, I've always approached it in a way that, you know, I'm going to run down the lake until I see a spot that I know has fish that nobody else is on. And I'm just not going to pull up beside somebody and fish. Now I might fish around somebody, but I'm not going to make the same cast as somebody else on the same school of fish. That's just not, that's not the way I do it. I, I actually like those crowded tournaments because it breaks a lot of those fish up. I mean, you'd have a, you know, especially on Kentucky Lake where you had big giant community holes, 
and you'd get two or three boats sitting there throwing at the same ones. Well, if you had them fish by yourself, you could catch 25 pounds on them. But when you got three guys throwing at them, then it turns into, you know, one guy's got 18, one guy's got 19, one guy's got 14. And, and I kind of like that because that pressure breaks them fish up. And that's, that's what we've always done at Pickwick. It fishes so much smaller than Kentucky is we kind of those, uh, those, I call them satellite schools, the ones that get broke up and get pushed off a hundred yards away. That's, that's the ones that I do better in deep tournaments when I find my fish during the tournament. That's, that's the way I like to do it. No, I, I agree completely. I don't think you did anything wrong. And I applaud you for standing your ground and being and saying, you know, I'm here. I beat you to the spot. This is my spot. I was here first. So I'm a fish where I want to fish and, and win a tournament. So I applaud you for standing your ground and actually doing what you felt was right at that moment. He did what he was, he thought was right. Um, he left the tournament, which was, um, you know, an issue on itself, in my opinion. But I'm not going to get into that stuff whatsoever. I think you were completely. 100 percent the right with what you with what you did well there's there's so much more of a backstory to that thing that people don't know and, and i don't have time for it. we'd have to do four podcasts to explain the whole thing but it's just uh if everybody, i mean I, i'm at flw when they when they aired the tv show started it with the way that they did and because i think that clarified a lot of people's opinions was everybody thought that i came in on him when and it was completely the opposite and they actually showed him buzzing by us and sitting down on top of us so i think that clarified in a lot of people's minds but man it's nowadays i mean i'm going to take it a step further and say you said half the world thinks one thing half the world thinks the other i think it's more like 95 percent of people think think one thing i was in the right and then the other five percent of people that don't that are just haters but you know the problem is it's just like anything else with social media now it's it's not it's not necessarily that most people, you know, that there's a split, a division of of opinions. It's just that the naysayers usually are louder than the guys that are not, and and that's that's where you get you get even in the political world, everywhere everywhere you look now, it's the it's the naysayers that scream the loudest, so they get the most attention, and and that's just you know everybody everybody behind the keyboard is a lot tougher than they are looking base too. So that's just part Definitely. of it. Definitely. Now, I'm, I want to end this podcast with you on a a note that you might not want to talk about, probably less than you want to talk about this controversy in 2018. But um, don't get upset for me asking you this question. But how does it feel right now to be a Tennessee football fan? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's um, it's confusing. I guess would be the word. I, I don't know exactly what uh, what they're thinking, what, what the what the. What, what's happening there? I've got a really good friend of mine that's a graduate from Alabama, and he actually played down there. And uh, and he actually told me that when they hired Pruitt, he was like, "Man, I'm, I don't think that's the right hire for y'all. I just don't think he's the right guy." And uh, he didn't much didn't have a lot of faith in him. And of course, I didn't have any experience with him personally. But then I've got another friend of mine that's a alumni at Alabama, and he's actually a big donor there. And and like I mean, those guys, those, that the people in the room in Alabama thought he was the next Saban. Like they, they thought higher of him than they did a Kirby Smart. But I can tell you this, man, when you come out the first two weeks as a you know, Tennessee is is one of the richest programs in college football and has a history, you know, probably a better history even than Florida. 
I mean, not not probably for sure. Longer longer term history. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, when you come out and play a BYU in the Georgia State as an SEC team, any SEC team, and you lose two weekends in a row, that's coaching, man. I mean, that's oh, just yeah. flat out coaching because there's. In all honesty, there's not three guys on them two rosters that could even make the skip, could even make the team at Tennessee or Florida right. or Alabama or Georgia. And then they just and the bad thing was the BU game was a fluky deal when they lost at the end. But the Georgia State game, man, I'm here to tell you, I watched the whole thing and it was not just a fluky deal. They freaking dominated them, like they yeah. pushed them around on both sides of the ball. It was it was hard to watch, man. Well, you know. You're talking to a Florida Gator fan, so I understand the trials and tribulations of, you know, having down years and, and not doing so well. But you're Tennessee, and I'm pretty sure you guys will come up pretty soon. So I don't think you have much to worry about. Well, I think the program will be fine. I mean, you know, the one problem I've always had with Tennessee is, you know, you take, you take Florida and, and Mullen, that Mullen hire. I mean, he's obviously a good coach. Hell, he won at Mississippi State. So, I mean, there's – you've got to – you gotta you gotta put the right guy in, at the front of the line, and and for it may be that guy. I don't know, but with that being said, Tennessee's always pretty tight on on their paying their coaches. You know, you look at their coaching salaries versus you know the Clintons and Alabamas of the world, and and it's not even in the same league. You know, it's twenty percent less than what they're paying coaching staffs at, at those programs, and and it's just I don't know, man. It's hard to. Being a lifelong fan and and seeing the program where it was in the late nineties and early two thousands to see where it's gone to now it's a it's a it's a harsh harsh contrast in in what we've seen but yeah we we got a we got a little Florida Tennessee game coming up here in, in a week in a few days and I just I'm not so sure that uh it won't be a a, a blowout by, from from the blue side. Well, we have to wait and see because. Uh... You know, both sides of the ball for both teams, they, they're they're up and down. So who knows who's going to win that game. It, it, it'll, it'll be a toss-up when, it, when the, the the ball is snaps for the first time. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, man, no problem. I appreciate I appreciate you calling me anytime you want to do this, buddy. Let me know. Yeah, man. And uh, we're, I definitely want to have you back on in the very near future. And we're rooting for you next year in 2020 on the Bass Pro Tour. So good luck on that. If I don't talk to you before then, best of luck. And let's have you back on the podcast to talk about how your tournament is going in 2020. All right, man. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Jason. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Aaron here from Wu Tungsten. We get asked all the time, why did we call it Wu Tungsten? What we did is we wanted a brand that we could have some fun with. We're anglers ourselves building a brand in a community for other anglers around an amazing product. We were super tired of spending a ton of money on high-end tungsten and having it chip after just half a day. We've got some of the toughest paint in the industry, some of the best weight designs that come from some of our elite anglers to make sure that we've got one of the best products at the best prices for you at the same time making a brand in a community that's going to make you yell woo on and off the water. We couldn't be more proud of what we've done. We love what we're doing, and you will too. Check us out, wootungsten.com. Roger here from Crusher Lures, wanting to introduce you to our company. We started Crusher Lures with a simple goal in mind, to provide top quality tackle to the industry, and we've done just that. Check us out online at crusherlures.com, and you'll see that from our one-of-a-kind shaker head, our heavy finesse jig, 
spinner baits and buzz baits, you're going to get unique lures that are proven to catch fish all over the country. I promise you. Only built with the best components and expertly crafted right here in the United States. Check us out online at crusherlures.com. You won't be disappointed. So I had a chance to talk to Jordan Lee, or excuse me, back-to-back classic champion Jordan Lee, and we talked about what that title meant to him, as well as what his future plans are as far as his career goes in the tournament bass fishing world. And we also got a chance to talk about fall fishing and the power of Berkeley Max Sense and why it just works. So you guys, check it out. I have Jordan Lee on with us right now, and Jordan, my first question is, how does it feel to be called back-to-back Bassmaster Classic champion. I mean, that's something that I think only three other people before you have accomplished. So on a daily basis, you're, you're called a back-to-back Bassmaster Classic champion, which is one of the most prestigious things you can do in your career. So how does it feel to you to have that title? You know, those titles are, are really special to me. Um, you know, obviously, they were it didn't come easy, and, and things just kind of went into place for me in those uh, – you know, those two classics, but having that title, you know, both of those were a, a huge blessing to me and, and it's really changed my life as an angler. And, uh, you know, it's just been, it's been amazing to, to, to be called that and, and forever have those titles is really, really special. I mean, you're no stranger to success. You've, although you're still considered one of the up and coming anglers in the tournament world, You've had your fair share of champions already. I mean, you won the 2014 Bassmaster College Series uh, Championship. Uh, like I say, the back, back-to-back Bassmaster Classic Championships. And then you also won the very first BP Tour, uh, Bass Pro Tour event in Kissimmee this year. So, I mean, what's what's next for you? What do you strive for now in your tournament career? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I've had a little success and... uh you know, I'm I'm very grateful for that. But you know, every year you go into it, and it's it's a clean slate. I mean, that's the one thing about our, uh, you know, that's one thing about what we do is every year is uh, a new year, and you want to strive to, you know, be the best you can be, and you know, try to win Angler of the Year. I mean, that's that's the number one goal when I go out is just try to be consistent. You know, and you're gonna have good tournaments and bad tournaments, but you know having the that consistency to me is real important and that's what I strive for is is is, you know, my for my bad tournaments to be, you know, those twenty, thirtieth place finishes instead of, you know, seventy eight. Um so that's kinda what I strive for every year, you know, going into the new year and you know, if you happen to win one it's it's a bonus. All right, now here's something that people aren't talking about. And people don't say it often, but do you want to be a part of the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame? Is that something that you strive for yourself, or do you even think about getting into the Hall of Fame at some point when you reach that particular age? Right. Yeah, it's something I hadn't really thought about a whole lot. I mean, uh, you know, the Fishing Hall of Fame, there's pretty much just legends um, that make it there. And, you know, it's not something I really think about. I mean, I think more or less about you know, tournament trails and, you know, just trying to do what I can, you know, maybe one day, uh, whenever that time comes, you know, maybe elected, but, uh, but yeah, overall, not something I really think about too often, but 
you know, there, there's always that possibility. Um, you know, later in my career, I'll, I'll probably start thinking about it a little bit more. Now, I want to get into something that is probably near and dear to your heart um, because it's near and dear to a lot of anglers. But I want to talk fishing lures and particularly uh, Berkeley baits because you have now come out a whole line of baits from Berkeley by Berkeley that has your your name and your big old face on the packaging and things like that. Yeah. So how did that come to be? What what was the thought process of actually creating your line of, of Berkeley baits? Yeah, you know, Berkeley and, and myself had some conversations last year, and, you know, we were wanting to come out with, you know, something new and, and, and you know, something different. And, uh, you know, they, they did that on these line of baits. I mean, a swim bait's not a new bait. A crawl or, or the, the minnows, you know, they're, they're different styles baits. But the, really the colors was, was something that we, we were excited about. They, you know, they found out a way to print these, you know, lifelike HD colors on these baits to make them look super realistic. And, uh, you know, it's more and more pressure that's out there on these fish, you know, having something that, that looks I mean, pretty much just like what they're eating is, uh, you know, always, uh, always a bonus in fishing. Um, so yeah, we, we, we kind of talked about it and they, they had this, you know, kind of under the wraps and, uh, you know, we're able to, you know, print these lifelike, you know, images on, on swim baits, on this minnow. And, and so that's pretty exciting to have something that hadn't really been done before on soft plastics to, to come out with, you know, this first line of baits. Um, but yeah, it's, it's exciting to, you know, start with your own line and, um, ball came out with some fishing lines, some, uh, X9, X5 braids. Came out with a high-vis color, so that's something I've always liked to use on my spinning reels. So there's a few things, you know, that Berkeley came out with this year that's, that's pretty exciting. I mean, I've been catching fish on them all year, and, um, yeah, it's been been exciting stuff for me. And that's, that's my next question. I mean, you've been fishing tournaments all year long, and you've already known that you had these lures coming out, and I'm pretty sure you've been doing some R&D yourself uh, with them. So have you actually caught fish? during the tournaments on these lures? Is that what you have been using all year long? Uh, you know, I use a ton of different baits. I mean, I, I mean, I, I got, I have everything I have. I have tons of Berkeley products. Uh, I, I have other brands. I mean, I, I fish with a lot of different, a lot of different tackle. Um, but you know, the, the new stuff that Berkeley came out with this year, I've, I've really, you know, changed all my plastics over to, to the max scent and uh you know i've been fishing with a lot of that this year uh you know the, the generals you know this year on the bass pro tour at ned rig or a wacky worm seemed to really come and play a lot of tournaments when we were catching having to catch just numbers of fish but uh you know i, I did throw in you know my swim bait a little bit around this year on a swim jig and stuff like that so uh, but yeah, every tournament seems to be some kind of different curveball, and you always have to, you know, kind of mix up baits. Yeah, that Maxin is something special. You know, I've actually been doing some research on in general and stick baits in general to see which stick bait is better than the rest of them. And I haven't released, I haven't read the article yet, and haven't released my findings, but. It came down to two particular baits, and one was the Gary Yamamoto Cinco, of course, that yeah. started it all. The other one was the Berkeley General Max Sense, and that thing caught, I don't know how many fish. I mean, it was just, 
outside of I don't know if it was I, I don't think it was the actual shimmy or the action because all the lures, all the stick base have the same exactly. you know, general action. But that max scent I think was the deal breaker as far as which ones caught more fish than the others. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy, you know. I I'm honestly I you know, wasn't a huge believer in scent um before before Berkeley, you know, I I, I fished a lot of different baits and you know, I just I never had seen a scenario that had actually worked, you know, where like scent, you know, uh makes that big of a difference until I started fishing with Berkeley's, you know, their their max sense whole line really. Um, but I got there at their plant, um, this was last year and, you know, they, they really test all this. They have like a, I mean, they got it down to science. I mean, they have these fish in these tanks and you can actually watch these, this, the fish and, and, and you can see them that they throw different brands, different baits at them. And you can, it's crazy how they come towards the max over all the others. And it, it was just something that kind of blew my mind. And I got to see it firsthand. I'm like, you know, this is, this is legit. This is a, uh, you know, th- these soft plastics are no joke. Um, and I think it's just something about the scent that, you know, they, it just, I guess it smells, you know, seems a little bit more realistic than others. And, uh, you know, they, they definitely eat it good. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, most definitely. Not. And, and staying on the same topic of, of lures, you know, it is the time where in most of the world right now, or most in the United States, it's the fall transition. You know, bass are actually going from one place to another and they're staging in different areas. Um, so in, in your professional opinion, what lures should people be paying attention to in, in tying on right now to help them catch more fish this fall? Yeah, you know, I mean, this time of year, it's typically in the south. It's it's the toughest time of year to fish. September, you know, fish like you said are transitioning. They're a little bit harder to pinpoint. You know, water temps are still really high. Uh, it's been so warm all year. You know, a top water um, is is a great great time to throw it. You know, the fish are usually eating a little bit smaller shad. Um, you know, from, from the previous shad spawn and, you know, a chatterbait, a walking bait, um, you know, something you can kind of cover water with, you know, uh, swim jig, uh, spinnerbait, really shad imitating baits is what I stick with. Um, and, you know, if I'm on a lake with a lot of grass, I'll pick up a frog and try to catch, you know, one or two better fish. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the shad baits really play a lot this time of year. Good deal. So, in, in your professional opinion, again, um, you know, if you had to pick one lure, um, whether it be a Berkeley bait or whatever you want, to, what it is, what lure would you tie on right now to say right this now, is what I'm throwing? Right now, I would probably to go to any lake just to try and catch better fish. I would probably put on uh, a Berkeley. Jay Walker, it's just a walking bait. Um, you know, it casts really good, and I'm I'm fishing. You can fish shallow over grass with it. You can you know fish it out on points, but a top water um, typically works really good this time of year. You know, waters, especially if the water's clear, 
you know, pick up a, a top water. Those fish are going to be schooling a lot, starting to school a little bit, um, you know, chase around. So I like to pick up that and just you fish it in the morning. You can catch them on it in the middle of the day, too. Good deal. Now, I know you're a busy man, so I'm not going to keep you for too long, but I wanted to go to one more topic. With Arbor Garcia, you have a new line of fishing reels or rod and reel combos that just came out as well. And the price point for these combos is magnificent. They're all price point, I think, 99 bucks for them, for both of them. The spinning That's combo. Right. And it, how, how did you do that? And what kind of technology? Why? Why a hundred bucks? I mean, the price is just amazing. It's it's a price that anybody can get into as far as getting a new combo. So, tell us a little bit more about those. Yeah, you know, for me, you know, Abu, they they, they we we were talking about it. We wanted to come out with, you know, uh, a combo, and in for the combo, you know, when I was when I was starting out fishing, and even in the you know. In college, um, you know, I wanted a, a rod, a reel, especially when I was starting out, that I could, you know, just kind of get the feel of something I wasn't going to break the bank with, and, and, a, and a quality rod all in the all in the one, and that's what we wanted to come out with. And, and Abu, they they did a great, perfect job. Um, you know, they, they added the wind grip in there, which I love, but uh, just a, a quality setup, you know, at an affordable price. And that's, that's really what we were shooting for is something that everybody could fish with, no matter, you know, who you are or, you know, if, if you're at the, I, I love throwing a square bill on, on the setup. We, we, we kept it simple on the action to start out with. We wanted to, you know, um, you know, just your all around seven foot medium heavy that you can kind of do all with. But it's a it's a great combo, um, and like you said, for the price, um, you really you really can't beat it for a hundred bucks to get a rod and reel. And um, you know, I've I've really enjoyed using it, and I think a lot of people have. Can we expect more from you in the near future when it comes to Berkeley Basin Abigail rods and reels? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely. Um, loved using their products and, you know, hopefully in the near future we can have some, you know, some, some little bit different setups come out and, uh, we'll see. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the journey, uh, with, with that company. Good deal. Well, I tell you right now, I'm going to be ordering some of your Berkeley baits. I'm going to see if I can get a hold of some of your rise and reel combos, uh, to test out and review as well. But there you do, go. I want to have you back on the podcast because I want to actually break down how you fish these particular baits um, and what rods and reels you use, what line you use, and really talk to the listeners and tell them exactly you know, how to be more successful using the lures that you have created yourself. We'd love to. Would actually love to. You can call me anytime. Good deal, gentlemen. Well, I do appreciate you coming on. Um, I look forward to having you back on in the very near future. And, you know, good luck, you know, coming in this upcoming, you know, tournament series. I, mean, I don't think you need the luck because you seem like you want regardless. Do. I but, can always use a little bit, I promise. <laughs> good deal, gentlemen. Well, I do appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. All right, fishing folks, there you have it. Another podcast episode in the books. 
special thanks to Jordan Lee and Jason Lambert again for taking some time out to come on the podcast with us. Now, before you go fishing, folks, please go to the website, thefishingmansjournal.com. Check out some past articles and podcasts that we have going on. Last week, we had a great article about wake baits, fishing wake baits this fall, as well as scrounger head fishing. So check both of those out. And we have a full review on the RG42, which is a rod by rod geeks that every serious angler should have in their arsenal. So check it out. But until next time, guys, y'all be safe out there on the water, tight lines, and big fish. Yeah.